LifePoint Church, how you guys doing today? Come on, how many of you glad to be in church? It is a great day to be together. I want to say welcome to all of you guys, especially if today is your first time with us. We want to give a big shout out and welcome to all of our first time guests and everybody joining online. And at our Austin P campus, you guys are getting ready for back to school, fall time at Austin P. We are so proud of you guys and thankful for you. I want to say a big welcome to our church. My name is Mike Burnett. My wife, Stephanie, and I are so honored to serve you guys as pastors and also uh, an amazing staff and team here that loves you and prays for you. So great to be with you. I want to say, uh, as, as we always do, thank you for your faithfulness in giving and generosity here let me just tell you right now, because of your giving and generosity at LifePoint and our partnership with Convoy of Hope, you guys are already helping make a difference in Eastern Kentucky. These floods are devastating. We lived through this a year ago in Waverly, Tennessee, and the, the devastation is real. I contacted uh, leadership at Convoy and I said, what are you guys doing there? They said, we're, we're there. We've got lots of support and aid coming and it's partners like LifePoint Church and other churches that partner around the country that are helping just already send relief. So I just want to say thank you for your generosity. If you don't know this, we are a church that believes in tithing and giving offerings to the Lord. And we do that through the local church. We, we also, as a church, tithe 10% of the income of this church to missions, outreach partners, church planters, et cetera. And Convoy of Hope is one of those partners that we give a portion of that tithe to. So I, I want to say thank you for that. And I want to challenge you, if LifePoint is your home church, if you haven't already begun this, that you would participate in tithing and giving. And for all of you that already do, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, I've said it for a long time, and let me just do a little teaching on this real quick. Um, tithing is God's plan and God's design. The word tithe really has uh, two parts to its meaning. It's a first tenth, right? So it's a first tenth. The first part of that is that tithing is about really giving to the Lord first. And you say, well, what does God need from me? God wants all of you, right? And he wants your heart, and he wants to be in the first position in your life in your family, in relationships, in your career, in your calling, in your uh, attitude. You know, God says, love him with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Put him first. And tithing is a way that we, we keep the Lord first in this area of finances. As a family, as a church, we, we encourage that, that you bring a tithe to the Lord before anything else, before we pay bills. I, I always say, I give it off the top before the government takes that bill that they take every year. Come on, somebody. And so I always give to the Lord off the gross before the government gets their peace. I, we want to put the Lord first. And that's, a, that's one part about tithing. The second part about tithing is it, it literally is a percentage. This is the way God designed it. It's kind of interesting. But it's a first tenth portion. That's what tithing is, a first tenth. And since the Old Testament, God has desired that the people of God put him first in everything. And as Abraham comes on the scene, we start seeing Abraham giving a tenth portion. That's where we start seeing that. Uh, percentage being given. Moses codifies that in the law. And the use of the 10th, why in the world do we do that? Is because that's what provides for ministry. That's what provides for the church and for us to be a church that blesses and serves other people. I was doing some research this week and uh, I think most Christians would agree, and you can amen me if you'd like here at any time, most Christians would agree they want to put the Lord first. It's a struggle in certain areas. Come on, right, everybody? And that's why we're growing in devotion. That's why we're learning to put the Lord first with sermons and small group discussions and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it is our desire to put the Lord first, right, everyone? Yeah, that's a free amen for you. Thank you very much. But statistically, even though Christians desire to put the Lord first, the reality is most Christians don't put the Lord first and at the amount of a tenth in this area. But it is something that God's word talks about a lot. In fact, stats, recent stats have shown that only about 5% of Christians across the board give a 10% tithe. Most Christians give to their church maybe 
2% around there or less even. And it's interesting, they actually correlated that those who do tithe, 77% of tithers, first tenth portion givers, 77% of them are generous beyond tithing. They have found that there's a blessing in giving and they like to do even more. So there's something about becoming more generous by becoming generous. Isn't that interesting? It's estimated if every Christian in America would tithe, 10% of the income based on the averages around the country, every church in America would be debt-free. Listen to this. And there would be a surplus of resource every year of $139 billion. Can you imagine the churches we'd start, the hunger we would deal with, the crises around the world that we could just go and do compassion work and care for others? I'm encouraged by that. And I do want to say, LifePoint, you guys are, are a strong giving church. I do want to challenge you, if this is your home church and you haven't been a, a, able to take that step in tithing and, and giving beyond that, take that first step. Make this month, this, this next 90 days a time where you're going to put the Lord first in this area of tithing. But I, I do want to just say thank you for being a generous church. I don't often give a theological uh, appeal for that, but I do want to make sure that you guys understand not only are we doing great outside of this church, but it is something that God expects from us and we get to do it. And man, the church actually could be the strongest force for good financially of any organization in the world. Amen. And it's if we just obey in God's plan, put him first in a first tent. That's the way God designed it. No group of preachers like came up in a conference one day and was like, what can we do to get these people's money? We're not after your money, man, I promise you. God's after what he can do for this world and he does it through his church. Hey, well, we are back in the book of Acts. How many of you have been uh, excited to be back in the book of Acts for a little while? Okay, thank you. I'm going to applaud myself. Mean Pastor Mike, it's awesome. It's probably one of the coolest passages in the book of Acts today since you brought your Bible. Go ahead and turn with me to Acts 17. And I've titled the message, Let's Talk About Jesus. And I want to give a shout out to Pastor Elmer who wrote a song. It's on all uh, streaming platforms. And I think you can get a cassette tape in the, in the bookstore at our Rossview campus. It's a single. And uh, when you flip it over, it'll play it with no uh, vocals. You can just sing to yourself. Anyway, that's a, that was a, a reference for some young folks didn't know what I was talking about just now. We called it, Let's Talk About Jesus. And um, I got to ask, how many of you are excited about fall time? The heat has broken just a little bit this week. I love fall time. It's my favorite season of the year. I love the colors, the weather, the cool mornings, you know, that are like real crisp and just awesome. And of course, Stephanie, more than me, she loves college football in the fall. In fact, I'm repping today at, because I knew I'd be talking about it in our football players at Austin P are in camp this week and uh, we pray for them. We're gonna have a service with them uh, very soon with the whole team at our church again. And uh, I just, I, I'm really excited. Let's go Govs, come on. We're gonna have a great season this year. Hey, I like, yeah, I, I love the fall time and I love August. I, I look at August kind of like a January reset. You know, every January we do um, New Year's resolutions. And I think August is a great time to do something similar to that uh, for, for goal setting, get into some disciplines again. In fact, we have, uh, reprinted and redesigned our Pray First guide. And, and tomorrow, August 1st, we start 21 days of prayer. And I want to invite everyone in our church to participate in 21 days of prayer. We have these guides. They're digital for you. If you scan our QR code, they're on our website, on our landing page for you. And also they're available uh, physically if you'd like one as well. And these are gorgeous, by the way, and, and redesigned and redone. There's some Bible reading plans in the back, a bunch of different ways to pray. But during our 21 days of prayer, this is a great time to have some some reset. We've gone through the summer, we've taken our trips, we're about to get our kids back in school. But 21 days of prayer, this is a great time for us to take some steps forward 
in our devotion and relationship with Jesus for the gospel and to grow in our devotion and knowledge of God's word, to spend time telling people about Jesus. I titled the message, Let's Talk About Jesus. And I wanna challenge you for the rest of this year of 2022, let this be a theme for your family. Let this be a theme for conversations in your life. Let's talk about Jesus. How many of you think our world needs the Lord? They need salvation, they need deliverance, they need redemption, they need hope. Come on, they need some good news in the world today. So I'm asking you to take some steps forward, talking about the gospel, participating in small group, being in discipleship and serving others, serving on teams. During our 21 days of prayer, by the way, you're gonna hear a lot about our One Day to Feed the World initiative. This is a great way for you to become a generous person in your church. We ask everyone at LifePoint during August, 21 days of prayer, would you pray about giving one day's wages to feed kids through our feeding program around the world with Convoy of Hope. Last year, you guys gave about $150,000. I'm praying for to break 200 grand this year in just generosity and giving of one day's wages. Listen, if, as you calculate your annual salary divided by 250 working days, you're gonna see like it's, it's very reasonable and doable for you to make that kind of commitment. And I'm telling you, your, your giving will go way further to feed kids around the world. We're, we're, Convoy's about to break the 500,000 kids a day and their goal is a million kids by 2030, but it's estimated they're gonna hit a million kids a day uh, much sooner than that. So we start our 21 days of prayer and perhaps you can commit your family or you at your job to uh, set aside a specific prayer time every day to pray with us. Tuesdays from nine to 10, we have a live prayer service at our Rossview campus. We shut our offices down and we wanna invite everyone to come and join us during the 21 days of prayer. Get online with us and pray through the Pray First Guide. Pray about giving a day's wages. This is a great time to establish some habits and some rhythms again for your devotion to the Lord. As we're getting back into the book of Acts, we see the consistency of the Apostle Paul challenging people with their passion for the Lord. And we see it as an overflow of his passion for Jesus. You gotta remember, he was an adult convert to Christ. He came later on and I mean, he was commissioned by the, the religious leadership, the Jewish leadership of the day to hunt down and imprison and even kill Christians who were starting this cult of Christianity at the time. But he becomes so passionately turned on for the things of God. He's talking about the Lord, he's talking about his church, he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching on generosity and challenging people to step forward over and over, even in the face of some real adversity. Last week, Pastor Aaron Allison preached for us on the unreasonable adversity that sometimes we face by serving Jesus. But the Apostle Paul was unapologetic as a Christian leader to call people to step forward, even when it wasn't popular, and even when this Christian witness was unfamiliar, which we're gonna see today, even if people don't know Jesus. Sometimes I think in the church world, we think, well, they're from a different religion or they didn't grow up with this background. And so we feel hands off because we're afraid they don't know the Christian gospel. And I'm thinking that's an open door. That's the people that we need to talk to, to about Jesus. Amen. And so the apostle Paul calls us forward and, and we see just the way he behaves is such a model for us when, when, when we talk about a message called, let's talk about Jesus. So in Acts 17, we've seen so far that Paul and his crew are dealing with extreme opposition and it's pushing them through different towns and different cities to share the gospel. There's literally a mob of people who are basically chasing them from town to town who hate Paul, hate Jesus, hate the gospel, hate preaching, hate this local church thing that's spinning up 
and they chased him down. In, in the beginning of Acts 17, they literally went to the host home. Jason is a guy hosting the apostles and they beat him up and they drag him out in the street, threatening to kill him and his family. And they end up taking a bribe to let him live. This is craziness. Paul is commissioned by God and these disciples are commissioned. They go to Thessalonica, God brings revival and a mob attacks them. So they leave and they go to Berea. God brings revival. The same mob that was in Thessalonica comes to Berea to chase them down and hunt them down again. So now Paul is moved on to the next town and he gets to a place called Athens. And that's where we pick up today in Acts 17 with the message, let's talk about Jesus. Hey, let me just give you a side thought here. Satan hates you and he hates what God's doing in you and he especially hates what God would wanna do through you. Keep doing it anyway. Don't back off because you endure some opposition. Don't back off because your boss says, we don't talk about that Jesus stuff around here. Don't back off because your family doesn't understand that you're a a changed person. Don't be surprised when people stand against you growing in Christ and because you are standing and doing good for God. Don't be surprised. Satan hates your guts. If they did it to the apostle Paul, they're probably gonna do it to you. And just know when you deal with opposition, you're in good company. Jesus dealt with opposition. God himself dealt with opposition. You remember the cross, that little thing, you know, big deal? Yeah, kind of. So as we move into this part of Acts, I want to share a first thought with you, and it's that, remember, Paul has gone Thessalonica, Berea, and now he's in Athens, and we're going to see that God gives many opportunities for us to share Jesus. I think a lot of times Christians don't see opportunities that God puts in front of them and we miss them. We don't understand that this was an opportunity. That was a, that was a moment. That was a window that God gave you, whether it was someone's grief or some pain or somebody had a question or, or you, you offered a time of prayer and maybe it was rejected. That's an opportunity to go, Hey, why did that, why did that bother you? Why did you reject that? I'm just curious. Like looking for opportunities. I want you to understand God gives us many opportunities to share Jesus. Let's pick up in Acts 17, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, now his disciples, Paul had gone ahead to Athens and his crew, his ministry team was behind in Berea catching up. They were a day or two late. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, look at this, his spirit was provoked within him. I want you to underline that actually, if you have a paper Bible, go and underline that. Paul's spirit was provoked within him. Notice that's a lowercase s in your Bible. So it's not the Holy Spirit was provoked in him. It's his spirit. His, his internal uh, mechanism was bothered and provoked. When he saw that the city was full of idols. Let me say it for you a different way. When he saw that the city was full of idolatry and idols and temples. Does anybody feel like that's somewhat the world we live in today? Come on. Like, what do our people worship? Money, power, fame, greed, fighting, hatred, gossip. I mean, we still, as a human species, love idols. So his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue. Notice he's in Athens and he goes to the synagogue. He knows to go to the church house, which is the house of the Jewish traditions. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons And he reasoned in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. I love that Paul just took opportunity. Hey, you're here, I'm gonna talk to you. Hey, you happen to be here working today? I'm gonna talk to you. Hey, you're buying some pizzas today? Come here, I need to talk to you. Anyone who happened to go to market that day got to meet Paul. Do you have that attitude ever, by the way, when you go to work and you happen to get in an elevator with somebody or you happen to walk in from the parking lot with somebody? Hey, how you doing? Bless God, it's great to see you. 
I'm, I just, I, I think it's really interesting that Luke makes the comment that whoever happened to be there, he just, he gonna preach to him. First of all, I want you to see the demeanor and the attitude that the apostle Paul had in this new town. He had been to multiple cities already. And after the latest uprising in Berea, he left and goes to Athens and he was waiting on his ministry team and his friends to show up. But I don't think the apostle Paul's just hanging out in his suite at the Hampton Inn. You know what I'm saying? Like you guys text me when you get here. He's out in the city. He's out looking around. He's, he's prayer walking. He's, he's looking and listening and learning. While he was waiting, he didn't sit idle. Some of us, we are, we're waiting. We say, God, if you want to use me, you can use me. But until then, don't use me. God always wants to use you. There's never a day that God says, you're off today. Just take a break. There's never a day that God doesn't say, you're my mouthpiece. Every day, you are an avenue for somebody to hear about Jesus Christ. Every day. So while he was waiting, he wasn't idle. That is, just because his ministry team hadn't arrived didn't mean he sat still. He was watching and listening and learning. Man, it's one of the things that I, I notice if I scroll on social media, which, man, that can be an exhausting adventure, right? But one of the ways as a pastor I try to engage social media is a watcher and a learner and a listener. And I read what people are saying. When I go to an airport, man, it's crazy. I am the like the biggest people watcher in an airport. I just love hearing and I ear hustle when people are lying at the store, like what y'all talking about? I just, I love it. I love listening and learning people. And I guarantee Paul was praying and asking God, what do you want me to do here? I'm in Athens. I've never been here before. What do you want from me? While he was waiting, look what it says. His spirit was provoked in him. You know what that means? It means he was bothered. It means like internally his heart was heavy. He was disturbed by what he saw. Luke actually tells us his spirit was provoked because he saw the city was full of idols and he had met the one God that could change every one of them and yet they were still pursuing these other pursuits and other ways to get to God. He was bothered by that. His heart was heavy. His spirit was stirred. Temples to idols, religious people following all these various idols. And in Athens in the day, there were so many idol temples. There were so many false religions and false gods. The marketplace reflected idol worship. And he was seriously bothered to the point, listen, that he had to do something. He got to a point where he couldn't be quiet about this idolatry. He didn't just sit back and get mad about it and start judging these people. He didn't sit back and start being passive aggressive and start posting about what all these people believed that he believed was crazy. Instead, he got so stirred that he went to a synagogue to start preaching the gospel. Listen, one of the reasons he went to the synagogue is because honestly, without Jesus, even the synagogues were idolatrous. And it was a place that he was familiar enough with that he could walk in and say, hey guys, you are not worshiping the true God of eternity. I understand your pursuit and your request, and this is my history too, but let me introduce you to the completion of our story, and his name is Jesus. He went into the synagogue and he starts reasoning. Notice who he talks to. He's reasoning with the, the Jews and the devout people. Man, don't ever be intimidated because you think somebody is more devout in their faith than you are. God in you is stronger than the devotion of people to their false gods. So he goes in the synagogue, he starts preaching to religious people. Then he goes to the marketplace. That means he went to a place where people are working and exchanging and it's loud and it's busy. And he starts preaching to regular working folks as well. He got busy, listen to me, he got busy when God stirred him. I just wanna ask you directly, what stirs you to the point that you can't stand it anymore? I read a book years ago called Holy Discontentment. 
by a former pastor named Bill Hybels. And he quotes Popeye's famous line. You guys remember Popeye? Yeah. Come on, somebody, big forearms, what happened to his biceps? I don't know. And he would get to this point where he'd get so agitated and he'd go, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And then he'd squeeze a can of spinach into his pipe. <laughs> what stirs you to the point that you can't stand it anymore? Is it addiction, abuse, trafficking? Is it your own vices that you keep letting creep up in your life? Is it the racism that we experience in our job? Is it, is it the craziness in our government and our politics and our socialism? What stirs you to the point that you go, I can't stand it anymore. Something has to change. What are you observing in your world, in, our jo in your job, among neighbors that disturb and disrupt you enough not to go over and pick a fight, but to go over and introduce them to the God who will satisfy the very things that are driving you crazy? What do you see in your world that the devil is doing, Abduct, like abduction of children? We got a 14-year-old girl right now who's been missing for four days. What are we doing to say, God, that's enough. Devil, get your hands off these kids. What are you doing to where you would say, this, the, the devil has no more room to do anything. I can't stand it anymore. And you'll do something about it. Does the fact that you work with people every day who don't know Jesus, does that bother you? Does it bother you that you've got kids in your home that you've never shared the gospel with? You don't decide, they're just stuck away from God. Does that bother you? Does it bother you that you've got a spouse that's never walked with you in prayer or spent time with the Lord? Does it bother you that human trafficking is still a major issue? Fatherlessness, crime, poverty, racism, overt drug and alcohol, the sexuality of our culture, greed, gossip. Does it bother you? Does it provoke you to preach? See, I'm convinced that many of us, it provokes us to gossip. It provokes us to resent. I can't stand kids today. Oh my God, politicians, I hate everybody. What? You are never allowed as a Christ follower to hate the very people that God loves. You're never allowed. It has to provoke us to do something. And the thing that we get to do that we see modeled in Paul is go tell them about Jesus. Man, I notice your family's all falling apart and you can't, you just got to drink a half a case of beer every night in the driveway, neighbor. Hey, let me talk to you about that. Let's talk about Jesus. Are you praying about your family? Are you praying about your marriage? Don't bring me that religion stuff. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about Jesus. Hey, I couldn't help but notice your family's falling apart because you cheated on your husband and you just really want to have it your way. And I get it. Like it was a hard marriage and, and you think this will make you happier. Can I tell you about Jesus? I don't bring that judgment to me. I'm not judging you at all. God will judge you. I'm just going to tell you. Jesus loves you, and this is not what he has for your life. Can you look at that son or daughter of yours that just keeps cycling through bad habits? Look them in the face and say, without Christ, you will never conquer this. Come on, somebody. What stirs you? What are you waiting on to be stirred in your spirit and compelled? You see, Paul's in a city he's never been. Can you imagine being the new guy in town one day? And kicking the doors of the synagogue and then going in the marketplace. Hey, nice peaches, nice apples. Have you heard about Jesus? You know, like he's just, he's just in it. He's stirred. Why? Because they were all worshiping false gods, which for him meant every one of them was going to end up in hell. See, as God's people, we should carry the passions of God for his creation, for his people. The pains of the world need the healing of Jesus. And that should provoke us. So what stirs you? 
And I want you to, I want you to hear this. If something is stirring you, the, the, the just crazy of the world, the pain of the world, if it stirs you and provokes you, look at me. That is God's opportunity for you to share Jesus with others. That's exactly what Paul did. He didn't gripe about it and complain. He was devastated by this. And he said, I got to tell him about Jesus. So then in verse 18, it says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, these are the brains. These are the, these are the philosophers that just sit around and talk about every idea and everything. They're, they're the academy, right? They're, they're the schools, the universities, the Epicureans and Stoics. The philosophers, they conversed with Paul. Now remember, he's been to the synagogue, he's been to the marketplace, and now he's going to the university. He's dealing with these Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. And they said, what does this babbler wish to say? I just imagine it's like, <laughs> you know, Plato said, <laughs> what does this babbler wish to say? Well, the reality is they're hungry for truth. And so they're going, what is this guy babbling on about? He's, look at the, oh man, look at the power of this. He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. In the statement, they're realizing we don't know the God he's talking about, but it is divine. Can I just tell you, listen, there are people that don't know God, but they're hungry for God. There are people that don't know Jesus and they need to know Jesus and you are the voice of Jesus in their lives, but they want to know Jesus. They want to know God. They want to know truth. These these yuckety yucks, muckety mucks, whatever, the, the academy, they're going, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching, look at this, what was he talking about? Jesus and the resurrection. Did he lean in on his political position? Did he start, did Paul start with, have you been to my church yet? There was no church in Athens. If all you ever do is invite people to LifePoint, that's like the third conversation. We need to invite people to Jesus and his resurrection. We need to talk about Jesus. Quit talking about your pastor. Quit talking about your small group. Talk about Jesus. All of that stuff comes next. So the Epicurean Stoics are like, what's he talking about? We need to hear about this. The message from Paul was consistent. If you read the letters of Paul, the writings about Paul, he always took opportunity to preach Jesus, to let people know that God saved his life and he'll save their life, he'll transform them, and that God resurrected from the dead after paying for the sins of everyone. You go, well, these, these pagans, these Athenians, they didn't know about the Jewish tradition and Messiah. Right, open door. God gives us opportunities. The people that know the least about God and religion and church, they're actually the, the biggest clean slate to tell about the Lord. They often don't have any baggage. It was opportunity. Do you know there are people that you encounter every day at your school, in your classrooms, at work, who don't know the Lord, and they see him as a foreign God. Students, listen to me. When you go to school this fall, you're gonna deal with students who don't come from church families like you. They don't get to go to youth conferences. They don't get to hear from Pastor Mike every week. And they literally think of Jesus as a foreign God, which in their mind, that means God is foreign from them as well. If anyone thinks God is far from them, then they realize that they are far from God. And look at me. This is opportunity. God will give you so many opportunities to be stirred in the spirit to tell people about Jesus. It's the best news we can ever tell. Paul was not worried about offending the Athenians. He'd never been there. He was able to stand his ground and to speak. I want you to notice Paul was able to preach in every arena. Just in this passage, we see Paul preached in the synagogue, in the marketplace, and in the Areopagus. 
Look at verse 19. It says, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, which is like the academy. This is a place where all the Stoics and philosophers met to talk about all the religious things. And they said, may we know, look at that language they're desiring. Can we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. Jesus, God in the flesh, died for our sins and he raised from the dead. That's strange. They said, you bring new strange things to our ears and we wish to know. I love that, man. God put that in their heart. I think the heart of mankind is to know God. They desire is to know God. And apart from Jesus, you'll never know him fully. Never. You might seek him and be a pursuer, a, a pursuer, a pursuer of truth. Just like I think they were pursuing truth reasonably and well enough, but they really wish to know what these things mean. And that's why Paul had opportunity to tell. Let me tell you what they mean. But notice Paul the, the Athenians, we wish to know what these things mean. All the Athenians and foreigners lived there. They would spend their time in nothing else but telling and hearing something new. They wanted to hear new news. That's why they had all these different idols and temples. But notice that Paul was able to speak in the synagogue, the marketplace, and the Areopagus. In America, you know, we have this attitude, we separate church and state. Paul's like, no, I'm going to talk to the church. I'm going to talk to the state. I'm going to talk to the marketplace. I'll preach at Walmart and Target. I'll preach at the church house. I'll preach at the academy. The school don't scare me. He could speak to religious people, to working people, to academic people. That's everybody. Why do I say that? Because the gospel unifies humans within a culture, faith people, working people, academic people. And so many Christians, I think today are just scared of the university or we're scared of what, man, we need to preach into the university. It's one of the reasons why we believe we have a, a, a location on Austin Peace campus. There's something about taking ground for the university and getting back into the Areopagus and taking a stand against what the academy is trying to tr teach our young people that they don't need God. But people have a hunger to know Jesus and God will give you opportunity to share him in every arena. I got to finish up the sermon. So let God stir you. Let God disrupt you for those who need to know Jesus. That means you gotta know your stuff. Paul was no idiot. Paul wasn't just making stuff up. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, you know, he was cool. That's all I got, you know, like, you gotta know some stuff. This is why we want you in small groups. This is why we want you reading your Bible. This is why we want you in prayer. This is why we want you coming to church regularly. Cause you gotta know some stuff. Watch in verse 22. Paul in a city he'd never been to, now he's at the Areopagus. He'd never been invited to speak there. He was a Jewish, um, he was, he was a Jewish scholar, and now he's among all the, the Greek scholars, the, the, the Athenians in Athens. So Paul, now in the midst of the Areopagus, he said, men of Athens, and I, I appreciate his willingness to honor this. He said, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. I just think he's giving them a bone. He's trying to like endear himself to them. Sometimes when we share the gospel with people, we just start with the hammer instead of start with where people are at. Man, I just perceive you guys are very religious. Like you, you want to approach God. I, I see that. I can tell. And here's how he knew that. For as I passed along and observed, that means I paid attention to you. I listened. I watched what you're doing. As I passed and I observed the objects of your worship, I found this altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now, here, here's what happened in Mars Hill. This is where they are in Athens. There are all these different idols, and they all had temples, and the temple had the name on it. It's to this God, to this God, to this God. And then as like the catch-all, the, the folks in Athens had built an altar to the unknown God. And Paul's like, that's my opportunity. That's my end, because they don't know Jesus. They don't know that they're talking about Jesus. 
I'm going to introduce them to Jesus. You know how Paul got to the place where he could talk to them about the unknown God? Because he listened and watched and observed their life long enough to say, oh, there's my end. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Man, would you, would you let God stir you and would you listen to the lives of the people God has stirred you for? Because he will give you opportunity, but you got to know your stuff. He says, you have this inscription to the unknown God. So therefore, what you worship is unknown. This is who I proclaim to you. Brilliant. He's so observant of what was happening in the people. He studied their idols and he even walked around their temples. Why? Because he wanted that to wash over him? No, some of us watch the world so much we look like it. Some of us are so engaged in worldly stuff because we're trying to be relevant. No, 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 no. You can watch the world, don't let it win your heart, right? So he's walking around the temples, he's walking around all these idols. Why did he do it? Because he cared for them, because God cares for them. And he found an opportunity to speak to their desire to be religious and to worship God, even though they didn't know Jesus. Their heart was in a good place, actually, I appreciate that our team, as we're talking through this, Pastor Randy brought up the point, like they, we appropriated that unknown God to talk about the God they don't know, but why? Because their heart was in a good place. They were seeking, they were seeking truth, but they hadn't found it yet. I really believe that as people seek the truth, listen, God in his mercy and grace will lead them to the truth of Jesus. Now listen, He's not gonna lead them to all these other random truths. It's the unknown God. It's Jesus Christ only. Jesus said, I'm the only way to God. I'm the only truth of God. And I'm the only way to have eternal life. I'm the way, truth, and life. Now, either that's not true, either that is true, or Jesus lied. I believe that if people are genuinely seeking, Jesus said, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with your whole heart. So I believe that God in his grace allowed Paul to come among the Athenians to say, you guys want truth and I affirm that in you. Let me tell you what is true. He didn't judge them. He didn't condemn their different religious beliefs. He didn't look down on their pagan habits. He was kind. Listen, he was kind. He was attentive. And then he was bold. And he knew his stuff. And he reached into their world and told them about Jesus. He acknowledged them being very religious, probably meaning they were moral and truth-seeking and good people. But he, had to, he looked at this as opportunity to tell them the truth about Jesus, that the God who loves them gave his life for them, died for them in their place, raised from the dead. This is, not, this is something they had never heard before. They said, this is foreign to us. And I believe that's still the desire of mankind. I think because God, we're made in his image, we're made in his likeness, that God has built in us the, the imago Dei, the image of God, that we are to seek the Lord and to find him. And I'm telling you, church, you are the ones commissioned by God to tell people the truth about Jesus. Amen. It's not just for pastors, it's for Christians. It's not just for apostles, it's for you. Amen. The only way to know God, really. Now look, there's a ton of very religious people in the world. The problem is without Jesus, their religion has a, has a dead end. But the only way to eternal life is to tell them about the God they don't know. Look at our world. People are seeking truth, they're desiring truth, they're declaring their own truths. But the truth people need is about Jesus, who defines your reality, who gives you identity, who brings you in connection back to the God who created you. It's the only way to have eternal life is devotion to Jesus. Paul didn't overlook their dedication. Paul was, I want you to write this word down, write this statement down. Paul was kind. 
Do you know how far kindness goes? <laughs> Paul was kind. He cared. He was passionate. But he didn't let that be enough. Seeking the truth, he goes on in verse 24. Let me just read it to you. He says this altar to the... Are y'all getting anything out of this today? Come on, everybody watching online. All right, I'm almost done. It's a long passage, but I'm, I'm, I'm really almost done. Then he preaches. The God who made the world and everything in it. I didn't put this on the screen. Here's what he says to them. Let me tell you about this unknown God. The God who made the world, he goes back to creation, and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man. He's saying it to a bunch of people who built all these temples. He goes, God doesn't live in any of these places. Nor is he served by human hands, because he's served by the angels, right, right? As though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So he's taken all these pantheistic views of religions and all these different people from all these different nations. And he goes, God is the one who decided all these nations with their boundaries. Look at this. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. God having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. And he's affirming, again, you're very religious, you're seeking God, and God put that in you, that you should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. And then watch this, it's so great, verse 28. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And then he quotes their poets, watch this. For in him, talking about Christ, in him we live and move and have our being. Now that's a quote in your Bible. You'll see quotation marks around that. You go, well, what part of the Bible is that from? It ain't in the Bible. That's one of their poetic quotes. That's one of their philosophers where they're trying to figure out in truth, we have our way and life and being. And he goes, no, 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 that's a great quote, but it's about Jesus, not about your brains. So he takes their quote and he goes, hey, as you guys know, in him, we live and move and we exist. We have our being as even some of your own poets have said, look at verse 28, for we indeed are his offspring. This is Paul so greatly just uh, uh, like affirming what they've been studying, affirming their desire for truth. And then he quotes their own philosophers and poets. You gotta know your stuff in order to do that. You gotta know what people are saying in order to reappropriate those things back to the gospel. Notice that the apostle Paul preached God's from creation, he preached Christ in him resurrected, but he also used their crazy thoughts and their valuable thoughts and he brought them in and said, this is actually better known about Jesus. Man, if you're not listening to the world around you, if you're not listening to what your kids are saying, if you're not listening to the people in your office and what they're dealing with, and asking the Lord, how can that stir me? And how can I use what they're seeking to point them to Jesus? You gotta know your stuff. If you're gonna talk about Jesus with coworkers and family, you have to know them. You have to know the gospel. You have to know God. You have to know his word. Listen, this is why we want you in a small group. Can I just pound that for a second? It's one of the major reasons we want you in a small group, LifePoint Church. This is the semester to get into a small group. Quit thinking about it, praying about it, quit talking about it, and quit going, well, it doesn't work for my schedule. Fix your schedule. Let's go to grow in your understanding of the gospel and how to share your faith with others and to empathize and share hope with others as you grow in relationships with people. Let me tell you something. One of the best ways I've learned how to do human interaction is serving with other humans on dream teams, in our church, when we go do outreaches, I'm asking questions when we're serving with one another, when we're in small group, we're learning the world, we're learning culture, we're learning what people are saying, and we're learning God's word. You gotta know your stuff. 
Finally, and I say this with no apology, and our keyboard can come. I'm going to close in a minute. Make a strong appeal for Jesus. Just be bold about it. I want you to ask this question. I want you to evaluate this question in your own life. Have you ever personally invited someone to give their life to Jesus Christ? Have you ever, not have you invited them to church, not have you invited them to small group, not have you prayed for someone, have you ever personally invited someone else to give their life to Jesus Christ? And if the answer is no, this is part of your assignment as a Christian. And I wanna challenge everyone in our church, ask the Lord, God, this year, for the, I got five months left, and then it's Christmas. We got five months left. Say, God, would you give me an opportunity to invite someone to know Jesus? Look what he did. Verse 29, he continues on. Being then God's offspring, talking about Christ, or us, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God is not what you've created him to be. Hello. You don't get to determine his morality or his ethics or his judgments. He said, God is not something that we create in our own mind. But watch this. The times of ignorance, God has overlooked. But now, oh, watch. God commands all people. Somebody say all people. Is that everyone? Okay, this is a really easy question. All people, is that everyone? Who commands it? So God commands who? To, well, you know, Christianity is not for everyone. God hasn't designed for everyone to come to faith. Well, you know, there's some good-hearted Muslims and Jewish people and, and Hindus, and there's some really good Mormons, and there's some people out there with good hearts. No, 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 listen to me. God overlooked all that ignorance before. But now, God commands who? To what? What is that? Turn to Jesus. God's desire and God's command is that everyone repent and turn to Jesus. If you have a theology that the gospel is not for everyone, you need to change your theology because right here the apostle Paul said, God's command is for everyone to repent and turn to Jesus everywhere, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Why, why, why? Because he has fixed the day. God has set a day and it's coming on which he will judge the whole world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Who is that man? Jesus. All of the world will be judged according to Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you've accepted it, you receive eternal life. If you've rejected it, the judgment on Christ means you rejected God and you will not experience eternal life. Paul says, the day of ignorance, God's overlooked. But now, God's desire, God's command is for everyone everywhere to repent and turn to Christ because there is a day when judgment will come and it will be based on Jesus whom God has appointed and of this, listen, he has given assurance to everyone that this, you can count on it. He gave assurance by raising Jesus from the dead. That's, that's the anchor point, the resurrection. 
Paul's like, look guys, you can believe all the stupid craziness you want. Fine, God's overlooked your ignorance, but now it's all Jesus. The only way to heaven is Jesus. The only way to know God is Jesus. And God's desire is for everyone to repent. Guess who has that message, church? We do. Only we have this message. Turn your life to God. Your life has fallen apart, turn to Jesus. He will give you so many opportunities to share the gospel. He will help you know your stuff in groups and small groups and study. God wants everyone everywhere to turn to Jesus. There's not a plan B, there's not another option. It's not all roads lead to heaven. Jesus leads to heaven and that's the assurance of eternal life is that Christ raised from the dead. Paul took his opportunity in the synagogues, in the marketplace, and now in the academy to give one message. God loves you, he died for you, you will be judged, and eternal life hangs on whether or not you will give your life to Jesus. You know what our world needs most of all? Not more money, not more politics, not better healthcare, not different weather. Our world needs to repent turn to Jesus. Who's this message for? Everybody. Who gets to tell the message? We do. Church, if you've never invited someone to know Christ, don't be discouraged. Look what happens. When they heard it, some mocked. That's crazy. I don't believe that. But others said, we want to hear more about this. So Paul went out of their midst. Some people followed him and they believed. Among whom were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Women were leading in this movement, by the way, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna stop preaching that. God's gonna change lives, God's gonna change people. Notice he started the message with men of Athens, and we see this leading lady follow him as well. Women are leading in the church world, and they must today too. Look, don't get discouraged. People will reject what you say, you keep saying it. Invite people to know Jesus. Let God stir your spirit. You gotta know your stuff. And without reservation, don't be mean, be kind, be empathetic, be a learner, but invite people and you gotta turn from this life. You gotta turn from this life of addiction and anger, resentment, unforgiveness. You gotta turn from this life of believing that your president's gonna save the world. No, 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 Jesus saves the world. You gotta turn from this stuff and turn to Jesus. Father, would you help us today to hear from the story of Paul at Mars Hill, the way that you would have us to live and lead and talk about Jesus. God, we wanna talk about Jesus. Lord, we know, we know that you have called the church to be about this gospel, to preach this message emphatically and passionately. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name that you have stirred in our hearts to know God and to make him known. And I pray, Lord, as a church, God, I'm not over any other leader, church in the country. I'm, I'm the leader at LifePoint. God, I pray as for us as a church that we would boldly know God and boldly desire to be stirred by God and boldly desire to make God known. Our city needs the Lord. Our county needs the Lord. Our state needs the Lord. Our country needs the Lord. And God, for some of us, the person next to us needs the Lord. Our family needs the Lord. God, the Apostle Paul was so passionate. I pray that passion would stir in us we would be stirred to preach the word, to share the gospel, to call people to repentance, all people everywhere to repentance. 
in Jesus' name. Lord, use us. Can you open your hands to the Lord? Come on, every location. I'm gonna hand off to your campus pastor in just a moment. Just say, God, use me. Come on, say, God, use me. Here I am. I belong to you. I'm your currency. Spend me at your pleasure. I'm yours to the glory of God. My mouth is yours. My mind is yours. Say, God, I repent of the shadow things that have kept me from you. I repent from my sin of trying to go my own way. And I submit my life to Jesus Christ as Lord of all forever in Jesus' name. Say, God, I'm all in. I believe you died for my sin. You raised from the dead so that I can live eternally for you and on mission with you in Jesus' name. Come on, can we give the Lord praise and honor today? Amen. Amen.